So, Genesis chapter 3, I trust that you are all there by now. We're actually going to start in the last verse of 22 and read all the way through and then come back and look at the text together. So starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we read, And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the excuse me, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely, you will not surely die. For God knows in, excuse me, God knows that in that day you eat it of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and on, excuse me, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put emmity, or that word means war, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth the children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and you shall rule over, he shall rule over you. Verse 17, Then Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And toil... You shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And finishing it out, we read, And Adam called his wife, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now lest he put his hand out his hand and he take also from the tree and eat it and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove 
out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And Father, this morning, Lord, as we open, Lord, your word, I thank you that it is powerful. Lord, you, we don't ask it, Lord, we don't have to ask you um, to make it powerful, Lord, it already is. And Lord, we trust that as we um, have read it already and as we study it, Lord, that your powerful word, Lord, by your spirit will work in our hearts and our lives. So, Lord, we um, ask that you would be glorified. Lord, help us to see Jesus this morning. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Okay, so a pivotal chapter, Genesis chapter 3. Many of us, um, if you've never read through the chapter before, I can almost guarantee all of you have probably heard um, about this chapter. You have heard parts of it. Many of us probably have studied it, either in when we are younger or, or when we are older or both. Right? It's a familiar picture that um, Adam and Eve in the garden with the animals, um, Adam and Eve with the apple taken uh, right in their hand. That's the common picture that we see. And a bite taken out of it. We see it every day right? when we hold up one of these, an apple, an apple product. But it's interesting, as we start this chapter, and we read the last verse of chapter tw- 2 for a reason, See, as we start this, it's important that we know what the context was coming into this chapter. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, I'll read it again in verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. See, we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 2 as God, um, he finished his creation. And remember that we looked at on the seventh day that God rested. God finished creating It's not that he never worked again, but his work of creation was complete. And in the Lord, Adam, he made Adam, right? And, and also Eve from Adam's side. He took Eve from his side and they were there in the garden. And, and you remember, it's easy for me to remember the name of the garden is Eden, right? Which means pleasure or delight. And so think about this. The animals, the man and the wife in perfect harmony, just as all of us, if you're married, in perfect harmony, right? Never a disagreement. No, we're just kidding. Um, but in perfect harmony, um, the plants, all, all this life as it should be. They were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame. There's nothing in and of themselves that they didn't want anybody else to see. They could be fully known, we could say, Right? You think about that. They're fully exposed. There was no clothing. There was nothing um, beyond, and it's much beyond the physical, but there was nothing, no shame in them at all. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking this week, maybe you have this week as well, or when you left Sunday. Did you ever just think about what that would have been like? What would that have been like to be in the garden, to walk among the animals, to be at perfect peace, perfect harmony, in relations with others around me, to see the life that God had created, to be part of that, to have no shame, no shame. And it didn't it did it did it ever occur to you that just things aren't as they should be? It's not as it should be. And in all of us, whether you know, there's there's folks who deny the Lord. They they say there is no God, or um, you know, that are struggling, or there's all these different worldviews. 
and, and things that people are uh, questioning and wrestling with. But I would say that if you ask just about anybody, and if they're honest, we would all say that life is not as it should be. It's not complete. There's something that we know is off in our hearts. Even all of us, I would say today, I know I'll raise my hand. There's things that I'm ashamed of, right? We all have something, some sort of shame. And so if that's what, where, what God created the world, if that's what God had established, if, if the Lord finished creation and he said, it is good, he looked at it all. There's nothing after he brought Eve to Adam where he could say that it's not good. Why are things not as they should be? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. And the the Bible tells us the answer. The Bible gives us what happened and why things are. So let's look at that this morning. We're going to see kind of the overarching theme is, is how sin entered into the world. How sin came into God's perfect creation, God's perfect um, harmony of relationship, and it has made a wreck of everything ever since, hasn't it? And so three questions that we'll ask ourselves this morning. First, we're going to look at what is sin. Then we're going to look at what are the results of sin. And then, you know, I think the question that we're all, um, if we're not already asking ourselves is, is there any hope? Is there any hope? I know even now things aren't as they should be, but can we do anything about it? So again, looking um, up at verse 1, and we're not going to, we're going to go through the entire chapter, but um, I don't want anybody to come up after, after and say anything to me. We're not, we don't have the time um, to go in through every single detail of the entire chapter. So I know that. Um, so just putting that out there. But now, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So we see here in verse one, Satan comes into the picture. This serpent comes into the garden. Now, how do we know that the serpent is Satan? Well, in Revelation 12, verse nine, and also in Revelation uh, 20, verse two, it tells us that the serpent is Satan. So Satan coming in the form or embodying a, a serpent comes and we see that he begins to tempt Eve. This temptation. And so, note this too. To be tempted is not to sin. It's not sinful to be tempted. It's it's sin when we give in, when we yield to, when we heed, when we act upon that temptation. But Satan comes in, and and do you notice what Satan begins to do? And this is important, because as we're going to see, this is the same thing that Satan does with you and with me, right? Look, he begins, and he says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And so, (laughs) all he's doing, did you notice, he's just restating it in in a way that is trying to plant doubt in Eve's mind. Has God really said this? He doesn't argue with anything that God said, right? But has he said that? Did God, is that really what God said? He's not bringing evidence against what God had said, He doesn't have his five points of proof against what God has said, but he simply comes in and Satan just starts to plant a seed of doubt in our, in our minds. See, and did you notice too, that in all of God's creation, in all of the garden, in all of the trees that he made, there's one tree that comes to the center of it all. 
And we'll talk about that tree. And in verse 2, we see that Eve responds to Satan's question. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So we see here, Eve centers in again on that one tree that Satan is asking her about. This Has God really said that you can't eat from that tree? And what's the name of that tree, or what's this tree that we're all looking at, that we're centered upon? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do you get? What's that picture that pops in your head? Is it like a tree with rotten apples, or like tar coming from it? A sense of, uh, of evil? Well, we know inherently, right, just because if we, if we look at what the Bible tells us, that everything that God created is good. So that even means that this tree is good. There's nothing inherently evil about this tree. It's not like it's filled with some type of poison or, or anything like that. It, it, we're told, the word says that for Adam and Eve, they're not to take from it. So taking from the tree would be an evil thing for them. But perhaps the tree was good for food for the animals, a certain type of animal. We're not told. But it's not like this tree has some special poison, but it's just this... Um, opportunity, God says, don't take from that tree, right? So that's where the evil comes in. But we have to ask ourselves, well, actually go over to the left. If you look in verse nine there, we see that um, that's where the Lord first mentions this tree. He says, there is the tree of life in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In verse 17 later, we see that that's where the Lord, and and I wanted to take us back there so we could all see that. That's where the Lord specifically says, and he mentions not to eat, not to take of the fruit of that tree. So why would God do this? Why would God put a tree amongst all the trees that he says to his the humans that he created, Adam and Eve, you can eat, you can have everything except for this one. Don't take from that one. Don't take from that one. Well, you you probably, if you have been in church for a while, you know this, but the, the simple answer is, the first answer too, is, is love. See, God wanted to give Adam and Eve, and he was giving Adam and Eve a choice. They weren't robots, um, with no free will, God had created them just in his image. God has free will, right? A free will. You and I have a free will. We can do, um, make decisions that we want, whatever we want to make. You can be an Ohio State fan or, you know, you could be a Penn State, Penn State fan and we'll feel sorry for you. Or even Notre Dame, right? Oh, that was an amazing game last night. Um, but we have free will and in placing this tree In the middle of the garden, this tree, which Adam and Eve now had a choice. Will I take of that fruit or will I not? They can, they can choose to obey the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I choose you or choose to rebel. That's what true love is. And you've probably heard the illustration before, but you know, Olivia and I stood right here, probably, yeah, probably right about here and we got married. And guess what? When, when we got married, she freely chose to marry me. I wasn't standing there threatening her if that if you don't marry me, that, that I will shoot you or anything like that, right? She, there, there wasn't any uh, force, but she chose to marry me in love. And that's what love is, a free choice. 
And God is doing that, not creating robots that are forced to obey, but creating us with a free will, choosing to follow him or not. Interesting too, Jesus says that if you love me, what? You will obey my commands. Do you see that? Even, even Jesus is, is saying that same thing. He's not saying if, if you um, love me, then you'll do better. But if you love me out of a response of your heart's affection, of me being at the center of your heart, of me being the greatest and, and the highest thing that your heart is um, wanting to obey, you will say yes to me. And so we see that same thing for Adam and Eve here. Um, and so... Some might even be asking, well, didn't they have to eat from the tree to know what is good and evil? If it's the knowledge of good and evil, then wouldn't they have to take of that tree? But that's not what the, that's not what the purpose is. God told them it is evil to, to um, take of the tree, and it's good not to. The experience, you can think of it more of, it, it was, they, they, were, they would experience, they would have that knowledge of what evil is, of participating in it, Right? Do you see the difference? And so it's not, as some might question, some might wonder, well, do they have to take it or else they wouldn't even know what was evil or what was good? No, that's not the case. But we also, it's important to know that is if this tree, this opportunity, if, if God put it there, then does that mean that God is the source of evil? It's a legitimate question, isn't it? We have to be faced, be faced with. Well, in James 1, verse 13, we see there that um, James tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil. We know that God is holy. We know that God can only be good, that he is only righteous, that he is not evil at all. So God is not the source of evil. But see, God gave us free will, and we can choose to exercise our free will in a way that would be evil. Do you see that? And so God is not the source of evil, but he gave us the free will. We choose to exercise our will in a way that is evil. Do you see the difference? It's important to know that because those are some legitimate questions. Also, I think this is a relevant question that some may ask. And maybe you don't ask this, but maybe you'll come in contact with a person who does. Well, isn't this God then? You know, isn't this like me going, um, and we just got a new couch in our basement, and we, we found like a cheap couch that we have uh, two little kids right now. And we just, you know, we're going to find the cheapest couch that we can that will serve the purposes of being somebody being able to sleep there if they need a place to sleep. If Cade sleeps there this weekend um, while Tim and Jan are gone. Um, and we've, we figured we bought it with the intentions that this thing's going to get destroyed over the next, you know, 10 years. You have two little kids. Um, if you just saw Brittany eating a bagel with cream cheese downstairs, you know that there is probably no hope for this couch. And so some people view God as, well, isn't he this type of father? What type of loving father would set this trap in the middle just for his kids? You know, it would be like me taking um, M&Ms after Britt just came outside and his hands are wet and putting them all over the couch and putting him downstairs and saying, Britt, don't eat the M&Ms because if you take it, you know how they get colors on your hands and then he wipes it all over the couch and I'll now have a rainbow um, couch that would be bad news. And, you know, I want to keep it at least for a little bit in decent condition. And I'm just setting him up for failure. I just want to catch him in the midst of it. I want to see if, I can, if they will fail so I can just pound him and get him. Some people view God as do, in Genesis chapter 3 doing that. 
And I'm not making fun of, we're, we're, not, we're not coming down on, we're not making fun of, of somebody who's questioning that. But you see, if that's our understanding, if that's what we think our view of God is, we haven't read and we don't understand the whole story, the whole account of the Bible. And we're going to answer that. We're going to see that later. So in verse 5, excuse me, in verse 4, there's this t- temptation. Eve answers, she responds to, to the serpent and in the verse 4, then the serpent again responds, and he, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will, will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we see now Satan kind of um, ups his game a little bit. First, we see that his first strategy is to plant some doubt. Has God really said that? Is that really what the, his, he said? Is that really what the word of God means? Then, did you notice in verse 4, he goes from that, and he, he tells an outright lie to Eve. And we know this. Remember that in um, John, we are told that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus tells that, that he, when speaking um, to the Pharisees, that, that he is the father. He was calling Satan the father of lies. He comes and does that. See, and we have to be aware, this is Satan's same temptation for us. He comes and he just starts to whisper in our voice, did God really say that? Is that really, is that really what he meant? Is that really what the word says? And then he goes and, you know, might wait a little bit and, and well, you know, God didn't say that. He meant the complete opposite. That's not God's take on it. He, he lies to us. And then did you see, did you notice in verse 5 that the next attack that he goes to is God's character? He attacks God's character. Well, how so? See, what Satan is saying in verse 5 is that God is withholding from you and from me. See, you can take of all these trees, but, but God wants, there's something about this tree. He, he's withholding from you. Satan says specifically that God knows that you will be like him, knowing good and evil when you take from it. See, God, he's not a good father. What kind of father with, would withhold that from you? And did you ever, you know, just think back, man, when Satan tempts us those same, same ways. Well, did God really say, does the Bible really say that God is good? God can't be good because there's no way he's good. Because if he's good, then he wouldn't have done X, Y, Z in your life, Right? And I'm not saying, and we're not, you know, we're not saying, you know, just wrestling with that and working through those things. But when we choose to believe those things, we'll find ourselves in a, in a dangerous place. But we see again, he doesn't argue with God. He doesn't give any proof. Satan's goal is just to begin to have us to question God. Then he lies to us. Then he, he wants us to question. He attacks God's character. So, have you ever been in that place? Maybe you are even this morning. You know, legitimately, well, you know, this, this event, this tragedy, tragedy has happened in my life, or I'm going through something really difficult, or this doesn't make sense to me. And so Satan might even be tempting some of us this, this morning to believe these same things, to believe a lie, to not believe his word, to go against God's character, and we're not saying that we um, have all the answers to why things are. But 
just hold on. Let's see the whole picture this morning. Notice verse 6. It says then, Satan says that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and then they made themselves coverings. So the three ways now, Eve, she believes the lie. And what did she do? It's like this sense that she turns, (coughs) excuse me, to that tree. She turns to that fruit, whatever it may be. And it says that she saw that that food, that tree, excuse me, that fruit was, did you notice, good for food. Second, it says that it was pleasant to the eyes. It was, it was something that she could look upon. And it was pleasurable to see, you know. It's not like she was looking at um, a Michigan logo that wouldn't, that's not pleasurable to the eyes. That's not good to see. Or he also says there, finally, the third way, it was desirable to make one wise. Why, why does the Bible point those three things out? Why does the Holy Spirit choose to take the time to look at those three things? See, that's the same way you and I are tempted. We see um, it was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. Second, that it was pleasant to the eyes. The Bible calls that the lust of the eyes. And then finally, that it was desirable to make one wise. The Bible says the pride of life. Do you see that? Does that sound familiar? Do you remember that after Jesus was baptized, John the, he went out into the wilderness where John the Baptist was baptizing and he was calling the nation to repent, preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus goes in to the wilderness, and he goes out to the Jordan there, and um, John baptizes him. And then it says that Jesus goes to the wilderness, and he's there. He's fasting for 40 days without eating anything. And, and after that time of fasting, it says that Satan came to Jesus. And if you go through and if you look at the, at the ways that Satan tempts Jesus, it's those same three ways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, right? Turn, if you're the son of God, turn this rock into bread, the lust of the flesh. Um, the lust of the eyes, cast yourself down from the top of this temple, right? And lest, the Bible says that uh, he won't let, and the angels won't let your foot be dashed against the rock, right? Remember that? And at that time, there would have been many, many people that would have seen that. And then the pride of life, if you just worship me, bow down before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world, the pride of life. But yet we know that Jesus heeded not those temptations. Jesus chose to obey the Lord. And so those are the same ways, though, that you and I will be tempted. Don't be surprised if Satan comes along and it just starts with the lust of the eyes. Man, I just want to have that. It's so shiny. I need that. It looks so good. I'll look so good in it. The, the, the lust of the flesh, man, I just, I just want some more of that, that, that feeling. My flesh enjoys that, looking at that thing, having some of that, or desirable to make one wise, that pride of life. Man, this will, I'll really be a step above everybody else. I can squash them all. I'll be, I'll be living the high life. Satan comes and tempts us the same way. But we see that Eve and Adam, that they partook of the, fruit. They took the fruit. They, 
ate of the fruit and they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. Here we see that then sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. God had created a world that was perfect, that was without sin. And it's at this point when Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey. They chose to take of the fruit that sin enters in. And the Bible also tells us that each of us have sinned. And we'll get to this in a little bit, right? But each of us has, have chosen to, to disobey, to have chosen to say no to the Lord. But what is this? You know, sin in and of itself, yes, it's, it's choosing um, to disobey the Lord, to, to go against his word. But even beyond that, it's choosing to be independent from God by disobeying him. See, really what we're saying is, God, I can't and I won't have the satisfaction that you say I will or the satisfaction that you promised in obeying you is not enough. And so I'm going to find this satisfaction my own way, a way apart from you. One pastor says it this way. He says, why not eat from the tree? Because God said so. The heart of sin is to put myself in the place of God and the main thing is my glory, my satisfaction in doing what will get me there. Whatever it takes. I don't care whether God said it or not. He doesn't know best. He's withholding from me. I need something else. I need more than what he says. And I'm going to take of that. I'm going to do whatever I need to to get that. Another pastor, he, he makes this observation. You know, by when we're tempted and, and when we choose to say no to the temptation, and we choose to say yes to the Lord. He says, by refusing sin's fruit, this temptation, humans can affirm the, their entire satisfaction from God. See, when we seek to satisfy our desires apart from God, we gain a diminishing, not a satisfied life. God's promises his commands are really what will satisfy us but it's satan that comes in and tempts us it he just will that really satisfy you no, there's no way that will satisfy you come and, and god's withholding from you come he's not good partake sin but we see that sin enters and then we have to ask ourselves, we want to answer the second question. What are the results of, of sin entering this world? What are the results of Adam's disobedience to the Lord partaking of the fruit? Well, put a marker here. Go over to the book of Romans. And there Paul gives us even more details on this. Go to Romans chapter 5. And starting there with verse 12, Paul explains, explains this and expounds upon this even more. So in Romans 5, uh, verse 12, we see, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Verse 12, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness and the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So do you see this? Paul is saying that by Adam partaking of the fruit, and by the way, you know that the Bible says that it was Adam who sinned? 
It was Adam who transgressed. In Timothy, we see that Eve was deceived, but Adam took of the fruit. He did it knowingly in full knowledge of what he was doing, choosing to disobey. And so Adam is accounted for disobedience. And through, it was through Adam, the Bible here tells us, that sin entered the world. That Adam, that all of us are in Adam. We are born in the flesh now, right? We are born in Adam. We are all born sinners. You know, guess what? My, our little baby, Eden, at sometimes she is selfish. You know, she doesn't realize that when it's 5 a.m. this morning and she's crying because she just wants some food, that we need sleep too. Sometimes she just doesn't get it. You know, she's a little bit selfish making us get up. Well, making Olivia get up. I shouldn't say us. And um, wanting to and needing to feed, feed her. We are born sinners. Nobody has to teach um, us how to lie. No one has to teach us how to be selfish. No one has to teach us how to sin. See, not only that, but did you notice that Paul said in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses? See, David Guzik, he makes this point. Well, how do we know that we are all inherently sinners? How? Because some want to argue that, well, you know, I think that all people are inherently good or not all people are sinners. But all of us are in sinners. We know this by this. Each one of us in this room right now are subject to death. There's nobody here that can avoid it. None of us. You know, if this building, God forbid, collapsed, right? There's nobody that could, that would, no matter what happened, right? That would uh, not die. We are all subject to death because the Lord says that the results of sin, the day that you eat of it, you will die. And for Adam and Eve, that was a spiritual death. They didn't die physically right away. But there was this spiritual death that happened, and over time, right, eventually now they would die. God God didn't create death. That wasn't his intention. But sin is the, excuse me, death is the result of sin. And the fact that you and I, that you, the fact that if, if we can possibly die means that you and I, that I'm a sinner. Do you know that? We are sinners. See, this helps us then to also understand the world around us, doesn't it? I can now understand and I can interpret, well, why, why did that person die? I don't know for sure, but I, I, know, I know that it's not as it should be. I know that this isn't what God intended it for be, to be. I know that things aren't yet made right. That death is reigning because sin is still reigning. And it helps me then navigate. See, there's difficult people. There's people, even... Um, Christians around us that sometimes sin. Everybody except for my wife, you know, we all sin. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But why? We are all sinners. We have, people are going to disappoint us. People are going to hurt us. See, but then understanding this helps us to navigate life, doesn't it? it? Us, you know, as a Christian, it gives us, it humbles us and it helps us, you know, I'm a sinner at heart just as much of a sinner as that person over there who's not walking with the Lord. I can be long-suffering. I can minister. I know how to share. I know what that person ultimately needs at the end of the day. And we can go to them because the deepest issue of this world is sin. And so all of us are sinners. All of us are subject to death. 
But notice this. That's the first result of sin, is that sin was passed down to each and every one of us, to the world that death entered in. But back in Genesis chapter 3, did you notice what he said in verse 7? It says that at that moment, when they took of the fruit, notice their eyes were opened. They could now see. There was now a consciousness about them, about each other, that they had not before. And notice what it says this consciousness was of. We see that they knew that they were naked. Now, I kind of mentioned it before. It's not that when God created Adam and Eve, he said, um, Here, here's a gift card to uh, Old Navy. You can go and you can get some clothes so that you're not naked and you know these clothes will never rot or whatever it would be. They were never clothed. They were always naked. So then what does it mean now when it says that they had this consciousness, they had a, a realization, a reality that they were naked? See, they, they knew before they could be naked and there was nothing to be hidden. There was no shame. We read it in chapter 2, verse 25. They were naked and not ashamed. They could be completely vulnerable. They could be completely known. And there was nothing to, to be hidden. See, because there is no sin that, that, that for them that they knew this isn't right. See, that at that moment, when, when they sinned, so too, they, they lost their righteousness. They lost what made them acceptable because, again, they were made in God's image. They were made holy. But now, as sin entered the world, they lost that righteousness. They lost that sense of acceptability because they were now at war, at enmity with God. And see, even for all of us, there's things that you don't stand up here and you don't share with the whole church because we're ashamed of it, right? Sin. All of us. See, we all have that sense of shame because, again, because all of us are sinners. Do you see that? And isn't it, isn't it one of the sweetest things? I mean, I remember um, when Olivia and I were dating, just you know, the things that you can share with one another your, maybe your deepest fears or, or the things that when, if you would share with another, they would just laugh at you or that you'd be made fun of. But you can share with somebody. And, and when you have that, when you have that vulnerability and, and they accept you, they love you, that openness with them, that's what we desire, isn't it? To be able to be known and yet loved. To be known and to be accepted. But see, now all of us, and even um, in this world, all of us, there's this sense of, well, we start to do what? As verse 7 tells us, we start to put fig leaves upon ourselves, don't we? See, Adam and Eve, they, they knew that there was something about them that wasn't right, this sense of shame. And so how do I cover this up? Well, they say, what do we do? Let's go, let's go, down, to the, uh, let's go down to the store and let's figure this out. That was funny. You get it? Fig tree. They took fig leaves. Let's go figure this out. I came up with that myself. I thought that was good. <laughs> but they, they said, we got to figure this one out. And, and what they took these leaves, they took whatever they could find, to, and, and they made themselves some type of this covering. I don't know what it looked like. Um, but can you imagine what it would be like to, to be, have clothes that were fig leaves? I don't know. It might, maybe it was comfortable the first day. Maybe they were still like soft and moist. But did you notice what's happening around us? The leaves are starting to change as they die. 
And in the leaves, they fall on the ground. They soon become discolored. They'd probably think that would probably be a cool hip thing, right? And here's, here's clothes that change color. You don't have to do anything to them. But then what would soon happen? Those fig leaves, they dry. And they, what would, you start to move, right? They would crumble. They would fall off. And I need, I need to make myself another covering. See? And that's, that's what we do. Adam and Eve, they sought to cover themselves, and yet the same thing that we do. See, we don't call it fig leaves. We call it, some of us call it religion. For others of us, it's irreligion or kind of the complete opposite. We try to cover ourselves, man. Well, if I'm good enough, if I put on, um, you know, a nice outfit, and if I go to CCSP on Sunday, if I, if I uh, you know, if I do my devotions, and if I say the right things, I can keep people at a distance they won't get too close to me, and, and I'll, I can cover this up, man. Nobody has to know. Or we can do the complete opposite, where we can run from God. We can just deny Him, and we can say, I don't want anything to do with Him, I'm just going to go the opposite way, because if I pretend like He's not there, if I pretend that there's, there's no shame, if I deny it, if I explain it away, then I don't have to deal with the shame. I don't have to deal with the reality of my sin, of what I know, I, you know, that I can't even explain it, that isn't right. And, and guys, we, we do that in America. We pretend, we make our own coverings. But soon they fall apart. They fall apart. And you know, ultimately, they won't, fall, they won't um, hold up when we stand before the Lord. And so, beware of that. Are, are you covering yourself even this morning? What are you, what, what, what's covering that shame that all of us have? The shame of our sin. Because we have all done that. We have all sinned. You know, and the Bible invites us to be fully known by God. That's what the gospel is. You can choose to be covered by religion. You can choose to be covered by irreligion from running from God. Or you can choose what the Bible says the gospel is, which is what we're going to get to. But think about this. And in, in our attempts um, to cover ourselves up as they fall apart, then what do we do? We'll look again in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he, Adam, said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that, that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of that tree and I ate. So notice now they sewed themselves up. And, and I wonder, was it days before the, they heard the voice of God, the Lord in, in the garden calling out to them? Because, you know, there's this sense that they had this communion, this fellowship. They just walked together in the coolness of the day. And, and God comes like he normally would, and he says, Adam, where are you? And I bet, you know, did Adam's fig leaves dry up by that time? I don't know. Did they fall apart? Did he realize that this, even if they were still covered, that this isn't enough? And he says, I need to be hidden. I need to hide myself. And he, and he hides himself among the trees trying not to be found. And we can do that same thing even. We can just hide. We can just run from God. 
Are you hiding from the Lord today? Just trying to run. You know, it's the sweetest thing, though. God's voice, God coming and seeking. And that's what we need to ask ourselves. Is, is there any hope? You know, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have this sense of shame because we all know that we have sinned. We all know that we are born sinners, but what do we do about it? If our own attempts to cover ourselves won't last, what will? If we just try to hide and we know that we can't stay hidden forever, that we are discovered? Because the Bible says in Hebrews, you know, there the word says that all things are, are naked before him. The eyes of the one, the eyes of the Lord. He knows even beyond the coverings, there's nothing that's hidden from him. What hope do we have again? But notice again, verse 8, there's this contrast. You have Adam, but who was the other person in verse 8 mentioned? The Lord. Think about this. Adam's hiding in fear. We see that he was afraid. He's in shame now. He realizes it. He's trying to cover. He's, he's totally going, doing what's wrong. But there, the Lord breaks in. And he says, Adam, where are you? The Lord stepped into the midst of our wreckage. You see, um, when, when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, do you see that God wasn't indifferent to that? That God didn't say, well, forget you, you know, you blew it. That God didn't say, well, you did what I, I told you not to do, and so I'm done with you. But God comes seeking Adam, seeking him in the lowest of Life, hiding, running in shame. And he says, Adam, where are you? Two things. What was the tone of his voice? When, when, when I read that, when we read that, when that goes, was it, Adam, where are you? Sarcastically? Was it a voice of anger? Or was it that tender voice of, like, Adam, where are you, man? You know, that, that, that sense of, you already know, where he is, but, and we know that. Because God didn't, it's not that God couldn't find Adam. God's omniscient, he's all seeing, he knows, nothing can be hidden from him. So in asking this question, God is really wanting Adam to, to, to in answering it and responding to the Lord, Lord, here I am. I'm hiding. I have some leaves on me. Because the, the Lord wants him to see. God, it's healthy for Adam to then realize and to confess back to the Lord where he is. And God comes in in his grace, and rather than wiping Eve and Adam out at that time like we deserved, like they deserve, he seeks them out in grace, stepping into the midst of the wreckage. Do you notice the second thing, though? The Lord's voice, his call was personal. He called Adam by name. He didn't say, you humans, you creation, but he said, Adam. You know, and maybe as we've been looking at this text this morning, maybe that's you. You have, you realize I've been covering myself to no avail. I've, I've been running from the Lord and the Lord's calling you this morning by your name because he knows your name. He sees you this morning. And it's that tender voice, the Holy Spirit working in your, in your heart. 
And, and Romans 5, 11 tells us this. See, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seek after God. See, Adam wasn't saying, he wasn't running to the Lord and saying, Lord, I blew it. None of us do. It's the Lord who first seeks us out. It's the Lord who calls us by name, by his spirit that draws us into himself, saying, come, where are you? Come and let's talk. Let's reason together. But not only that, but as God steps into the midst of the wreckage, as God has this call, this gentle, tender voice, Lord, Adam, where are you? You know, I wonder what that was like. And jump down then to the, we, we read it here at the end of the chapter in verse 21. We see, it says, for, also for Adam and for his wife, the word made tunics of skin and he clothed them. So not only did God seek out Adam and Eve, not only did God call out to them by name, but then what did God do? He said, I knew, I know that, that what you've done. I know that you're trying, that you're, there's this sense of shame. You've lost, lost your righteousness now. And see these fig leaves, they're just going to dry up. Your own efforts won't work. And you need to be clothed, by, but not something that you make of yourself but something that I'm going to give to you, a covering that, that is given. But what was that like as they did that? See, this covering provided by the Lord, it was um, and a skin of, of animal. We're not told exactly what type of animal. But just even think about that. How traumatic was that for Adam and Eve? How traumatic would that have been? Again, before sin entered the world, we're used to it. I was driving here and I saw a deer that was dead on the side of the road. I'm used to seeing dead animals. But for Adam and Eve, there was never before death, physical death. What was it as they watched, they saw that animal being killed to see the life go out of it, to see the blood being poured out. And they would see for themselves, see, that's the result of sin. That is the result, death. And, and, and God at that moment was providing a covering for them. God was perfectly just. See, there had to be justice. There had to be punishment for their sin. God said, there's going to be a substitution in your place. Instead of you dying, I'm going, this animal will be killed, be blood. And, and, and that covering now is the one that I provide for you. See, we see the grace of God. And I know that, like, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I know that some of us really love animals, um, and we should love animals. We should take care of them. And, and you know, some people would say, well, the Bible is just a bloody religion. Well, sin has bloody results. And the Bible's being honest. And so that's the hope that Adam and Eve had, that there was one who stepped into the midst of their wreckage, one who in the tenderness of their voice, of his voice came and sought them, that sought them out when they were hiding, when they were running from God, that there was one who would provide a covering for them for their shame. But what about for us? What about for you? Is there hope for you? Is there hope for me today? We need to ask ourselves the same thing. You see, go back up, and we read it earlier, but look again at verse 15. Where there the Lord says, And I will put, as he's speaking to the serpent, and, and this is the curses, you know, that we read through the curses that the Lord gave, but to the serpent, this specific curse and this prophecy. And I will put enmity, or war, speaking to Satan, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, is, your, is that second seed capitalized in your Bible? 
He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, the Lord is saying that Satan, there's going to be one who comes from the seed of this woman, from the seed of Eve. There's going to be one who you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so at that moment, there was hope for Adam and Eve. And this hope means that there's hope for you today. There was one who came, and this, of course, is speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who in Romans 5, just continue on there, in verses 18 and 19, it says there, Therefore, as, as through one man, that's Adam, we said, uh, one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act. The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. See, yes, there was one Adam, the first Adam who came, the first Adam who sinned, and now that sin has been passed down, we are all born sinners, but so there's two, the second, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And the Bible is telling us that it is through what Jesus Christ has done. That same, his justification now, just like um, the sin of Adam was imputed to us, the just acts, the just, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed and can be imputed to you and to me. See, that's our hope. Think about this. Just, you know, bear with me. Let's take a step back. Look at all this in the greater context. You know, we've been talking about the world's not as it should be. We all know that. We all agree. The world's not as it should be. Because even in in Genesis 2, as we've been talking about, there's perfect peace. There's perfect harmony. There was no more creating because God had created everything. Adam and Eve, they had everything that they needed. There was pleasure. There was delight. There was no sin, no death. God was at rest. But do you notice at that moment when Adam sinned, sin broke into God's rest. God was at rest, but now sin broke into the rest. And Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 17. He says, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. See, Jesus is saying there because he healed a man on the Sabbath, excuse me, the Sabbath, Sabbath in John chapter 5. And the Pharisees, the religious people are saying, you can't do that. That's work. And Jesus says, well, don't you realize that until now, my father has been working. See, what is that work? It's at that moment that we broke into God's rest. Now God has been working to redeem you and I back to himself. He's been working. He's been, he's been, he sent forth the prophets to tell of Jesus he, he's, he's, given, he's, he's given us people in our lives who have been witnessing, who have shared the gospel with us. God has been working, not at rest. Why? To redeem you and I back to him. What is our hope? You see, our hope is this, that in the garden, we're all longing to be back in the garden, aren't we? Whether you like gardening, whether you have a green thumb, that's not what we mean, not to be in a garden, but to be in the garden, to be in that place too, where you're at rest, to be at that place where you have complete satisfaction and pleasure and unity. We want to be at that place where there's no more death. You see, but there was another garden the Bible tells us about. 
And that's, that garden um, is the Garden of Gethsemane. And see, after Jesus, he was with his disciples for, for three and a half years. Um, at that garden, he goes up right before then, and he has the Last Supper. He establishes communion, which we um, had last week. Isn't it appropriate? And then after communion, he goes out where he often would go to this garden with his disciples. And this is on the night before Jesus would go to the cross. And, and when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he entered the garden. See, Jesus had already be, was already tempted like we talked about, and yet he was without sin. And on this night as he went into the garden, remember as he was praying, he was praying there, all the disciples were asleep, and he begins to face such agony, such weight, and it actually says, the Bible says that he was sweating blood because of the reality of the stress, the, 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 what was facing him. And one pastor points out that Jesus was in such agony at that point as he was praying. Remember, too, he was saying, Father, if there's any other way um, which this cup, meaning the cup of judgment, the cup of God's wrath, could pass from me, if there's any other way which man could be saved, Lord, let it be done. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it was in the garden there that Jesus was having, a, God was allowing them to have a foretaste of what the cross would be like. That's why he was under such so much agony. Well, why? Why was God giving him a foretaste? See, because at that moment that Jesus still had an opportunity to say no. He wasn't nailed to the cross where he couldn't physically get down. But see, in that moment, Jesus had the choice. Was he going to obey the Father and go through with it? Or was he going to say no? And see, Jesus had free will. See that? See, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, in our free will, we have chosen to rebel against God. When Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he had the choice to obey, to, to choose to redeem you and I, he said yes. He would give his life freely for you. See, Adam took of the, the fruit of the tree. He took from a tree. He ate that fruit. And now, as Genesis chapter 3, we saw the curse that came, sin. Jesus went and he hung upon a tree, taking, as the Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree, taking our curse of sin and shame for us. Adam was naked and he was ashamed because he lost his righteousness. He had sinned. He was not right anymore. But Jesus, as as he was going after they came in and they arrested him in the garden, what did they do? They took him throughout the night and they tried him, right? He went under these, these, um, these court hearings and, and he was examined. And remember what they said, that I can find nothing wrong with this man. There's nothing that he's deserving uh, of judgment. And yet they tore his clothes from him. See, Jesus was, was naked and he was not found. There's no shame found in him. He could be fully exposed, fully known. And there was nothing, nothing lacking in him. No shame at all. A death occurred so that, I, so that Adam might be covered by a cloak given to him freely. And so too on the cross, it was Jesus who died for you and I. And, not, and it was at that moment that when Jesus died, he was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The final lamb to be slain forever. 
And the question for you and I this morning, are you clothed with the righteousness of Christ? The Bible tells us that it's not us working to cover ourselves. It's not, we, we could do the opposite. We could run from God. But there is a covering that satisfies God's justice. There is a covering of one who fully known, there's no shame found in him. And it's freely available to you this morning. Is that your righteousness? Is that what makes you acceptable? If not, the Bible invites you to come and to take of the righteousness of Christ. But you see, beyond just that, that's yes, for me personally, but doesn't this also give us a hope for a world around us? I mentioned that earlier. What does the world need? Not, not that the, these things are, are, are bad in and of themselves, not just more social um, social activities to make it a better place and community activities. Those are good. But at, at the core, beyond all of that, we have a world that's in need of Jesus, to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, we have the answers, not because we are exclusive or, and better than others, but the, we have the word of God and people just don't know the word. That's what it is. And God doesn't exclude. He says, whosoever will, let him come. And, and even in the midst of all this, I could almost guarantee that there are some of us still struggling this morning as we've been talking about this. Uh, well, my life, there's things that have happened that just aren't right, that are painful. And how could a loving God allow this to happen? And, uh, and I'm saying this not, not making fun. It's a legitimate question that we struggle and that we wrestle with. How could this evil and suffering be in the world if God is so loving? See, but after now we went through the full picture as we, we went, we started in the garden with the, where the fall started, but we've come full circle to the garden where the fall was redeemed. It, it really does help us to see it all. See, God is not indifferent to the suffering even today. God's not indifferent to the suffering of your life or to others around you caused by even our own choices in rebellion. But God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, in love to forgive you and I, to redeem it. And although the world is not as it should be yet, it's not the end. That's the answer. It's not the end. We're still, the world is still under Satan's rule and reign. See, in the garden, Satan wanted, wants us to question God's goodness, that God is withholding from you, that God isn't good. But it was in Gethsemane that the Lord displayed his goodness by giving his son Jesus to die in your place. And like I mentioned, this isn't the end. As, as Liv comes up, and we're going to do a final song. See, in this world, there's still suffering and sin. But did you ever think about this? Because this is where we are. We're in the time in between. We are. And for two chapters, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we, we see the world as it should be without a curse. No death, no sin, no shame. But do you know also, if you go to the end of the book, one pastor always used to say this, isn't this amazing that through the testings of life, the testings that we go through, we have an open book test. We have the book in front of us. And, and he, he always would say, just go to the end. It gives us all the answers. 
And do you know what, what the Bible tells us? See, in, in Revelation 21, there, the, the Lord brings down New Jerusalem. And it's in, it, he, he makes things, the world reestablishes as, as it should be. And in, in Revelation 21 and in Revelation 22, we have the last two chapters of the Bible. And listen to this. In Revelation 22, verse 3, it says this, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. See, guys, we're not at the end. And we still live in a, in a midst of hurts and of real suffering and questioning but the Lord has given us the answers. He tells us here that I am not indifferent to your situations. I am not indifferent to the evil of the world. I'm not indifferent to the questions that you have. And I, sh- I will display that. You can know that because of what I did. I sent my son in the Garden of Gethsemane to show you my goodness, my love for you. I call, and maybe even this morning, the Lord's calling you by name. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Are you trusting in what he has done? Are you still trusting in your own righteousness? Are you, are you running from him this morning? This morning, the Lord's calling some of you. And so, think about this. There's, do you know how many chapters are in the Bible? There's 1,189 chapters. For two chapters, we see the world as it should be. For two chapters, we see the world as it will be. And for 1,185 chapters, God's saying, look, I know where you are. And in the midst of this in-between, I'm there with you. Just hold on, there's hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this morning, Lord, I thank you that you would do that for us. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of my sin, with the wreckage of my life, Lord, that you would choose to still love me. Lord, and not, not brushing my sin, Lord, not brushing our sin under the rug and pretending that it's not there. Lord, but sending your son to die in, in my place, God, that I can be forgiven. Lord, this morning as we just close, Lord, worshiping, Lord, you and just listening to the lyrics of this song, if there's anybody this morning, Lord, who, who doesn't know you, Lord, would you do that? Would you draw them, Lord? Would you even call them by name? And, and as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? And I want to pray with you this morning. If you've never placed your, your faith, and if you're not trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on, to make you righteous, to make you acceptable, and you want that this morning, would you just raise your hand? And if there's anybody even this morning that you've fallen away, maybe you've, been, you've walked with God at one point, and you realize, man, I've been running and I've been hiding. If that's you, and, and you just want to confess before him this morning, just I want to pray with you as, together. We just raise your hand and we'll pray together. So, Father, we just pray, God, that you would continue to work. Lord, we pray that, Lord, these would be realities in our hearts, God. And, Lord, I know for, Lord, I know myself, Lord, I can read these. I can agree with them. Lord, but, Lord, we want to know this. Lord, to truly know this, to experience these truths. So, Lord, I pray that even as we um, began in prayer, Lord, I thank you that your word is powerful. Lord, so we just trust that, 
Lord, by your spirit, that your word has, has been working powerfully in hearts and lives, God. So would you bring, bring renewal, God? Would you bring freedom, God, from guilt and from shame where there is? God, would you bring hope, Lord, in the lives where, where, where there's some of us who feel hopeless? Lord, we, we feel and we've been crying out even, Lord, are you indifferent to, to what's going on? And we thank you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.